Welcome to the Pet Project Podcast with Sarah, creator of PetProjectBlog.com. Each episode is a healthy dose of news, views, and activities to help you strengthen the human-animal bond. I'm Steve, producer of the show. On today's podcast, Sarah explains how to help your pet beat the heat of summer. But first, let's hear a recap of the posts from last week on Pet Project. Well, June is Adopt-A-Shelter Cat Month, so I did a post on what you should consider before you adopt a shelter cat or any cat and the different things that you can do to make the adoption go smoothly, like how to introduce your cat to resident cats or a resident dog and the things that you need to consider that you'll have to spend money on because I think a lot of times people don't have a really good picture of what it actually costs to keep an animal. You know, if you're going on vacation, you need somebody to take care of them. All the different possible vet expenses, you're going to be buying food and cat litter for the rest of their life, that sort of thing. So pretty comprehensive thing on adopting a kitty. And I definitely recommend it instead of buying one. Also, one of the things that I mentioned in the um, post was a kitten season. And it's slow to hit up here in the Pacific Northwest, but in other parts of the country where it's warmer already, kitten season is when all of the kittens appear. So apparently in warmer parts of the country, there are three kitten seasons, which means that the shelters are inundated three different times during the year with litters of kittens. And that means that the older cats, and by older that could just be six months old, you know, they're still not even a year old, but they're not a sweet little tiny kitten anymore. They get pushed out. And by pushed out, I mean, they get euthanized, they get killed. If you adopt a cat, you're not just saving the life of that cat, you're potentially saving the life of the cat that it makes space for. Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're making room for more animals. And if you adopt, you know, not just a kitten, but maybe a six-month-old or even an older cat, you know, you're really saving their lives because they're the last to get picked. And I have to emphasize, black cats are the last of the last to be picked. There's some theories about that. Some people think it's the whole superstition about black cats, but I think what it is, it's the same sort of thing with black dogs. They aren't as distinctive. Black is black, you know. You also can't see facial features as well with black cats or black dogs, and they don't photograph as easily for pet rescue sites, so they get overlooked. Mm -hmm. So if you adopt a black cat, you're really helping them out. And we have two black cats that we adopted, and they're wonderful. I mean, some people actually think that black cats are better than other cats. I've gotten some funny comments because I did a post about adopting black cats. And I've gotten posts from people who said that their black cats were the smartest, funniest cats that they'd gotten. And one of our black cats is the smartest cat I've ever known, Raven. She's a scary smart. (laughs) And then the Friday fun was this cat playing like uh, the shell game, like three card Monty sort of thing, but with something hidden under a walnut shell. And two times out of three, the cat gets it 
and you and I discussed why it missed the second one. And I think it just got faked out. And once it guessed wrong, I swear it was looking at the one that had it. Mm-hmm. Like it knew, okay, it's this one. Yeah. So, the cat seems to be thinking about yeah, it. Yeah. And it doesn't pick the same one each time. Right. You know, and it looks at it, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So even if it's hearing the little ball, the metal thing that's under there, mm-hmm. I still find it really impressive that they taught this cat to do that. Yeah. It's a hoot that it just sits there and watches and waits and then does its thing, you know. Right. Yeah. Maybe they dripped fish oil on it. Maybe. That'd be smart too, but then if yeah. they're rolling it around, they're they're moving fish oil all over the table. True. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Smart cat. I know. Smarter than most people. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. You're welcome. Summer is here, and a couple episodes ago, we talked about dogs and cats shedding, mm-hmm. which is a way that they keep themselves cool. Right. What can we, as their humans, do to help them stay cool? Yeah, it's important because they can't turn the faucet on. So the biggest thing is making sure that your pets have really good access to water and fresh water. So that means water outside, water inside. And if you're taking your dog on walks, I think it's a really good idea to be able to give them water on the walks if it's a hot day. I can definitely tell that there are days where Saffron is like, I seriously need a drink. And actually, because I talk to her like I talk to people, (laughs) I ask her, do you need a drink? And if she does, she stops walking and she turns around and is like, yes, with her ears and her tail and everything. And if she doesn't need a drink, then she just keeps tootling along. And we have a walk that goes along the waterfront of a marina and at different points along the walk for different docks, they have like bathrooms and water fountains. And she knows that those buildings over there have water fountains. And sometimes she will slow down when we get near one and look towards it. And I'm like, okay, you need a drink of water? And she's like, yeah, I'm dying here. So really important, water. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing. Okay. <laughs> and then we also talked about the digging pit a couple episodes ago. Yep. Great place to keep cool for a dog. Very good, yeah. And Saffron has been using that. Just several inches down in the dirt is considerably cooler than the rest of your yard will be. And, you know, you can sprinkle water in there to help. So just, you know, imagine what sticking a dog tummy on cool, wet dirt feels like. You know, feels really good, I think, to them. So, yeah, that's another reason to do the digging pit and, and to make sure that it's in, you know, a more shady place in your yard, not right out in the middle of the sun, which I wouldn't think you'd want to do with a digging pit anyway. So, <laughs> should you provide shade for your dog in other ways? Yeah. If you don't have trees already, there are a few things that you can do. Part of our yard just really doesn't get any shade, and that's where the lawn is. And so sometimes when it's just really hot out there, I stick a beach umbrella out there for her so that she has you know, some, some shade in the grass if she wants to lie in the grass. And there are shade structures that you can build. Pretty simple. I have, I think, two or three DIY posts on that that you can build yourself that are like, you know, they're easy. One of them is it has kind of like louvered walls 
And then another one is like an open veranda, and it's one of the green roof mm-hmm. DIY projects, which I love. It's mm-hmm. really pretty. Mm. So the other thing is that you can give them an elevated bed. They're name brand ones. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of pet products, they tend to be pretty expensive. And I have a DIY project for making your own elevated pet bed. It's it's a really popular post. I've recently gotten some messages from people. One of them is from a woman who is working on a project with inmates at a prison where they're going to be making um, a number of these beds to donate to local animal shelters. And it's basically you use PVC pipe to build an elevated frame and then you stretch like canvas or you know nylon canvas over the frame. And the air circulation helps keep the pets cool. It also keeps them, you know, away from bugs. Another cheap thing that you can do is get one of those plastic kiddie pools and put some water in it. We've tried that with Saffron, but she's so cautious about everything. She's scared of her kiddie pool. (laughs) I tried sitting in it to get her to come in. That freaked her out even more. So I can pretty much just get her to step into it to get treats, but she will not lie down in it. But other dogs love them, so that's a really cheap, um, easy way to get your dog to cool off. Along with the idea of, like, you know, water in a kiddie pool, they make dog beds that are filled with gel or filled with water, which helps, you know, like, cool off your dog, draw the heat off of your dog. They're made out of pretty durable cover, so your dog can't totally chew on it, but their claws won't break it, that sort of thing. There's another uh, way to cool your dog. They're called cooling jackets, and they work with evaporation. So you can buy them, but you can also make them, and I have a DIY project for that. Give me a rough idea of what that is. Yeah, basically the idea is that it's a jacket that's made out of some kind of absorbent material, it could be terry cloth or, you know, something like that. You dip that in water, kind of wring it out so it's not, you know, weighing your dog down. Then you put it on the dog, and that evaporation helps cool your dog off. So the DIY one, I think they use basically like thrift store towels or old towels, and you just get that wet, wring it out, pop it on your dog, and let it do its work. That's a good one. Then there are also, um, if you don't need something that big, There are collars and like bandanas that do the same sort of thing. Some of them are filled with gel and those are ones that you would put in the fridge or the freezer and then you put it on your dog and that's where a lot of their, you know, their veins and their arteries go through. So you're helping cool their blood as it passes under this collar or bandana. Some of those work using evaporation also. So some of them are the same idea. You get it wet, wring it out plop it on your dog. And then another thing that you can do for your dog being outside in the heat is give them frozen treats. Even ice, right? Doesn't your dog like ice? Some do. You know, I have a really cautious dog. I wouldn't say finicky. She just is really careful. And we gave her some ice yesterday. She took it, she chewed it up a little bit, and then she was like, yeah, not going to eat this. But I have put ice in her water, and she definitely likes that. I also give her occasionally whole frozen fish, not giant ones, uncooked, so the bones are soft, not brittle and hard, and we they're basically like fish pops that she absolutely loves, and we only give them to her in the summer because can't have them in the house because they're stinky, 
and gross and messy, but she loves them. She gets this just blissful, happy look on her face when she knows I'm giving her a fish pop. What kind of fish? I just go to like the Asian market and get mullet is about a good size. And what I'm looking at is for her, given that she's missing some teeth and everything, it's about, I don't know, a six inch long fish. Mm -hmm. And it's about, I don't know, maybe three inches wide at the widest. Mm -hmm. And I just give her the whole thing and she just chomps it up. And you don't want to give them a ton of fish. You don't want to give them a ton of anything. And it doesn't, this isn't supplementing her food. This isn't in replacement of food. This is just an occasional treat for her. It's also a real high value reward for something. So like if I get her to come to the back door when, say, there's the juvenile possum that has been visiting our yard that she really, really wants to go see, but she actually comes to the back door when I call her, I'll give her one of these fish pops because this is like, this is solid gold for her. You know, she loves them. You can also give them um, frozen Kongs. You stuff them with stuff and then stick them in the freezer. And a Kong is this rubber kind of a toy that it's pretty hard for dogs to chew them up. They come in, two, I think, two different strengths. There's the red ones and then the black ones. The black ones, it's really, really hard to chew them up. And they're hollow. So you pack stuff in there. People put cheese Whiz or peanut butter. You could put, I suppose if you block the end with something, you could pour chicken stock in there or something and then turn it on its end, stick it in the freezer and give them that. They can work on it for a while. It's a great way to occupy them, give them some a problem to solve. And there are other toys that are similar to that that are made by other people. You're supposed to supervise your dogs with any kind of thing that they might you know, be able to chew up. But I think it's pretty hard for them to, to chew these things up. And you're also supposed to get a Kong that's sized for your dog. Mm-hmm. So you want to get one that they can't just totally chew up. So the bigger, the better. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to give a puppy-sized one to your Mastiff because mm-hmm. they will they could eat the whole thing in one bite and choke on it sort of thing. So, right. you know, you want to be careful about that. Some people don't give those, don't give anything to their dogs unless they can supervise them. We're lucky with Saffron. She's not a giant chewer. She has not even destroyed the very first toy, plush toy that we gave her. Mm-hmm. That's kind of unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there are big chewers... She's dreaming. <laughs> That's so cute. Oh my god. Oh, I woke her up. I know that there are dogs that, you know, are much more destructive than she is. Uh, we have a friend, you and I, who has a a clumber spaniel and they're notorious for chewing up and eating things and you know you just want to be careful with dogs that are like that that they don't choke on anything all right so shifting gears a little bit and talking Mm -hmm. about going out on walks how do you keep saffron hydrated on walks i have two ways one is this kind of heavy duty plastic foldable bowl that it folds up to about, I think, one and a half inch by one and a half inch. Wow, small. Yeah. And I think I just got it at like Petco and three may have come with it. Really cheap. They also make ones out of like waterproof canvas stuff, but they're a little bulkier. 
And I use that if I know that we're walking somewhere where there's going to be uh, potable water. So like water fountains, that sort of thing. You know, make sure that the whatever water you're using is actually okay for people and dogs to drink. And then I have this other thing. I think it, there may be a couple of different brands of this, but it's a water bottle that has an attachment that um, you squeeze the water out into for the dog to drink out of. And what's nice about that is you can use it too. You just unscrew the attachment and drink out of the bottle directly so you, you're not getting dog spit or anything grody like that. The problem with that is that it may be a little heavy and not comfortable to take on a long walk. But they, they also come with clips. So I don't know if you have a utility belt or something like that. You could clip it on there. I do not have a utility belt. Um, but that's really handy and it carries a lot of water. So uh, those are the ways that I do it. And there is actually a DIY project on Pet Project for making your own foldable, portable water bowl. It's made out of the oil cloth that you see um, tablecloths made out of, like for picnic tables, that sort of thing. Okay. So it's waterproof, folds up pretty small, and they come in really pretty colors. So you can make a pretty colored one. How does it keep its shape? It's engineered in such a way that the seams make it like a little box. So it's not a round bowl. It's not curved. It's like a little box that pops up. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What else can you do? This may seem obvious to people, but walk during cool parts of the day and walk on the shady side of the street, you know, that sort of thing. Plan walks for where there's shade. When it gets really hot here, I take walks at the Arboretum because there's lots of tree cover and it's, you know, just a lot cooler. The other reason why you need to be careful about the time of day that you walk your dog I learned about this uh, researching this podcast. Dogs can burn the pads of their feet, Hmm. and it can be kind of a serious problem that snowballs. So you want to avoid walking on hot sidewalk, asphalt. One of the things that they noted that I, you know, hadn't even occurred to me is that the bed of a pickup truck, that hot metal, Mm -hmm. could really burn your dog's feet. The reason why this could be more severe a problem than, say, like a a thorn or something like that is that if your dog burns its feet, it burns all four, Mm -hmm. which means it can't limp to take the pressure off of one foot. Right. So there's no relief for them. So if the dog is going to walk anywhere, it has to walk on a burned foot. And secondary infection is an issue, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, And so what you want to look for obviously limping, licking or chewing their feet. And I would say that if you see your dog licking or chewing its feet, you really should check out what's going on because there's probably something wrong, whether it's a thorn or an allergy or something like that. The pads evidently will get darker if they get burned. And there can be blisters and um, redness. And this part totally grossed me out. They can be missing parts of the pad on their feet which yuck and how painful that must be. Yeah. So there are ways that you can treat it if it does happen. And the best way to avoid it is to keep your dog off of hot surfaces that might burn them. Yeah. And your dog should not be riding in the bed of a pickup anyway. Exactly. Seriously. I mean, you wouldn't, I don't know. I guess some people do put their kids in the back of a pickup truck still, but your dog is, is so vulnerable if you put them in the back of a pickup truck. Yeah. 
they just don't have a chance if anything happens. Do they make dog sunscreen? They do. And it's actually a really important thing to use, especially on certain dogs. So obviously dogs that don't have hair, like the Chinese crested dogs, those sorts of things. Uh, You have to be really careful about their skin because they just have no protection. But white dogs and dogs with light-colored fur need protection, too, if they're going to be out in the sun. And dogs with pink skin are more susceptible to sunburn. And... Once you notice a sunburn, it's probably worse than you might expect because it it takes a fair bit of a burn to show. They don't get blisters. They get red. Um, Their skin can look leathery. So once you start noticing those symptoms, you've got a problem. So It's too late at that point. Yeah, and now you're going to have to treat that issue. And again, you're going to have the the risk of secondary infection. And just like with us – The more sunburns you get, the more chance you have of skin cancer. And there are certain breeds of dogs that are prone to uh, skin tumors. Those are also dogs that need sun protection. And the places where they tend to get burned is on like the bridge of their nose, anywhere where the fur is thin, the tips of their ears. They apparently can get burned on their eyelids, around their mouths, And also, I read that their belly and their groin can also get burned. If they're lying on the beach or something, maybe. Yeah, and they also said that if they're walking on, like, a reflective surface. Yeah, like water, right? Yeah, Yeah. that they can get burned, too. Okay. So, and I mean, that is really tender skin under there. So, uh, you want to be careful about that. And I also want to add that even if your dog typically doesn't have really short hair or that sort of thing. If you get your dog shaved for the summer and you get them shaved too close, you're going to put them at risk for sunburn too. I saw a little, um, like a miniature poodle the other day at the dog park where I don't know what the groomer was thinking, but they shaved this dog almost down to the skin. And it was a white poodle with just pink, pink skin underneath that had not seen the light of day for, you know, I don't know, nine months. And I was looking at that dog and I'm like, this dog is just going to be scorched in 20 minutes. So really look at whether you should be shaving your dog at all. So the only dog sunscreen that I could find that was like FDA compliant, and that means that the ingredients are proven safe for use on dogs and only dogs not safe for cats because apparently there's a substance in it that's like aspirin and aspirin is toxic to cats. It's called EpiPet. I'm not endorsing the product, but I do want to give a link since as far as I can tell, it's the only one that's FDA compliant. Okay. They're working on one for cats, but they don't have one yet. But I did come across something that's available in the UK called PetScreen, but it's only available in the uh, UK as far as I can tell. And it's not FDA compliant as far as I know. Also, I ran across something that recommended using zinc oxide. And that's only okay if you use it for something really short term and that the dog can't lick off because zinc is toxic to dogs. So You always think about the lifeguard with the zinc oxide on right, the bridge of the nose. Right. And can dogs lick the bridge of their nose? I don't think that they can really lick the bridge of their nose, but you know, Saffron will rub her face like cats do oh. and then she'll lick her paws. Oh sure. So you want to be careful about that. 
tips of the ears seems like it would be hard for them to get to unless they again are rubbing their face like a cat does. I don't know how many dogs do that mm. since she's the only dog we've ever had. Right. Um, Connected to this is one of the reasons why I lean towards not having outdoor cats. Cats that are white or that have white fur on parts of their bodies are prone to skin cancers. They get sunburned too. I think it's kind of hard to keep sunscreen on a cat. And as far as I know, there isn't, like I said, one available in the U.S. that's FDA compliant. They get skin cancers they scratch the tumors, the tumors get broken, they get scars, they lose parts of their ears, they get them on their noses and stuff. I mean, it's just, if you've ever seen one, it's horrible. It's just horrible. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm not inclined to, you know, endorse the idea of outdoor cats. But if you have a cat who spends time outside, or like we have a window box that's on it's on the outside of our house that we built. It's screened in, and the cats get to go sit out on that and get some fresh air and sun and everything. If we had a white cat or a cat with a white nose, white ears, I would consider putting some sunscreen on there if I could find something that I felt was safe. Mm-hmm. I have a few suggestions for helping your pets stay cool inside. A lot of places where it's hot, you've got air conditioning. We don't have air conditioning for the most part, in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Only, like, new houses do, but most people don't have air conditioning unless they buy, like, a window unit or something like that. So while we may not get the 100-plus temperatures that people in other parts of the country get, we do get houses that heat up to 88 degrees and more. I can't remember how hot it got a couple years ago, but it was dangerously hot for us. I had all the animals in one room and was just really trying to keep them cool hot air blowing over you with a fan doesn't help (laughs) you know so for those places that don't have air conditioning you need to make sure that your pets can stay cool in your house one of the ways you can do that is make sure that your cats or dogs have access to like your tub or to a tiled floor, to your shower, that sort of thing where they can stretch out, you know, slap their bellies on, down on that and, you know, cool off and everything. Also, basements tend to, you know, stay at a cooler temperature than the rest of the house. So, you know, consider giving your animals access to the basement. Anywhere cool in your house like that, that'll, you know, help absorb the heat from their bodies. Fans, obviously keeping air circulating, that sort of thing. I've used those frozen gel pads that you like put on your aches and pains. I've set those down with like a towel over them for the animals. Uh, Saffron has kind of used them. Our cats just go, eh, you know, I suppose if things were bad enough, they would use it. I have on occasion gotten my cat's feet wet not their whole bodies or anything like that, but I've dipped them. The problem with that is that if you agitate them too much, you kind of undo anything, any cooling aspect of the water on their feet. So I don't know that that's necessarily a good idea. Mm -hmm. I have just to try and make Saffron a little more comfortable, dampened her ears like before bed. And this kind of leads into something that's really important that i think a lot of people don't understand how dangerous it is, and that's heat stroke. 
there's kind of a point of no return if you don't recognize what's going on. And once you hit that point, there's not a whole lot you can do. Right. The damage is done yeah. at a certain point. Yeah. The end result is the brain swells and apparently the blood doesn't coagulate anymore. So at that point you're kind of, that's it. So you need to know what you're, what you're seeing. You need to recognize what's going on. What are some of the signs? First thing I want to say is if you do see heat stroke in one of your pets, don't immerse them in cold water. Uh, you could send them into shock. That's actually not a good idea. Uh, you can get put them in like tepid water, but you don't want to shock them. Also, you need to take care preventative-wise of elderly dogs, dogs that are obese, and dogs that have a shortened muzzle, so like pugs. And I would imagine that goes for cats with a shortened nose too, so like Persians, things like that. They're more susceptible to problems with heat. Just because they don't have that cooling capacity yeah. through the long muzzle and that, mm-hmm. that, that uh, the panting and the evaporation yeah. is, is lessened because there's less surface area. Is right. That right, yeah. Okay. And that's a big way that dogs, at least, cool themselves. I don't know if it's true with cats, but I know that they're just compromised anyway because they can't breathe normally. Cats do pant sometimes, don't they? Yeah, and if you do see a cat panting, if they haven't just been playing really hard, that's a serious sign. That's one of the first signs you need to act uh, for your cat. So the signs for cats are kind of like restlessness, like they can't find a comfortable place to settle down. Panting. So if you see your cat panting, that's not a normal thing. Raven, when she was a kitten, would sometimes pant after she she played really hard. Once we realized that's what she was doing, we kind of dialed it down because that's not normal for a cat. Cats sweat through their feet. and It's like the only place that they sweat. So if your cat suddenly has really sweaty feet, it's having heat problems. Mm. Drooling and excessive grooming. The grooming may be that they're trying to wet down their fur Mm. to cool off. Mm -hmm. So if you see those signs, uh, you need to act and get your cat cooled off. For dogs, there are kind of two stages. Moderate heat stroke is when their internal temperature is 104 or 106 Fahrenheit. You'll see excessive panting. You'll see red gums, a red tongue, and like sticky, thick saliva. Then when you're hitting the deadly heat stroke range, that's anything that's 106 degrees Fahrenheit and over. This is where you're really close to death. In this instance, you'll see pale gums instead of the red gums that you see earlier on. They'll be weak, dizzy. Their nose can start bleeding because they're already starting to have the problems with their blood coagulating, vomiting, diarrhea, and then coma. And if you see anything like that, you know, you, you really have got to get to an emergency vet mm-hmm. um, as fast as you can. So it's a really serious problem. And the biggest place where this happens is people leaving their dogs in the car. No matter, still, I know. That still happens. Yeah, it still happens. And more uh, cities are being a lot more proactive about that. Like the police will come and break your windows to get that animal out and they will cite you. More cities are doing that. I, you know, each summer I see that in the news more and more. They do it in our area. 
if the police don't do it, I think pretty much any more bystanders will do it. They're just not going to mess around if they see a dog dying in your car. So people are pretty passionate about that. And I just am floored that people don't realize how quickly their car heats up. I don't care how short a time you think you're going to be in someplace running an errand. Just don't leave your dog in the car. Don't take your dog with you if you're going to have to leave them in the car on a hot day. When I was looking at like what temperature cars reach, even with the windows rolled down, your car can hit 150 degrees Fahrenheit. And, you know, you just, just don't do it, <laughs> you know? And along with that, don't tie your dog up outside a store or something like that in the sun in hot weather. Mm. I'm not really keen on that in the first place, but make sure that they have shade anywhere that they are spending any time. So I want to finish up with something that may seem kind of counterintuitive. A lot of people, like I mentioned, get a summer cut for their dogs. This really may not be a good idea, depending on what kind of dog you have. If your dog um, has no pigment in their skin, if they're just like pink, don't have any melanin, then they really don't have any protection against the sun other than their fur. You could end up with a serious sunburn. Also, a lot of the dogs who have thick, heavy coat, they have an undercoat, and they shed that in, like, the spring. So they're left with a thinner coat that actually serves to insulate their body against higher temperatures. It's the same sort of idea as, like, the robes that, say, Bedouins wear in the desert in the Middle East. That actually protects them against the heat outside of their clothes, it maintains more of like a 98.6, your, your body temperature. Dog's fur apparently can do the same thing. One of the ways they cool themselves is they fluff their fur up. So really look at whether you should be giving your dog a summer cut or not. And I would say that the same goes for cats. You know, really think about whether you should be doing that or not. You know, if it's a white cat, I would say no. So it may be counterintuitive, but it's something to think about. Just because you've always done it doesn't mean you should keep doing it. Next week, your cats love to scratch, but they never seem to ask you where you'd like them to do it. Sarah explains ways to encourage your cats to sharpen their claws in a way that's non-destructive to your home. If you'd like to learn more about the site, visit us on the web at petprojectblog.com And to be sure that you get each and every episode, go to iTunes and subscribe. While you're there, it only takes a few minutes to give us a rating and write a review. We'd really appreciate the feedback. And yet another way to provide ideas, suggestions, and feedback for the show is to email Sarah at info at petprojectblog.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next time with another installment of the Pet Project Podcast. Podcast.